Well, I, I really want to thank you guys for who you guys are. It's been just a, such an incredible week. And um, it's actually been such an honour to come and hang out with you guys. Like, you have no idea how much you've inspired my faith. You've genuinely blown me away with your passion for Jesus and your servant hearts. And um, as Matt has said a few times, I've, I've got three little boys. Uh, Asher, he's three years old. Judah, he's five years old. And Eli, seven years old. And there's been a number of times over this week. Ooh, hold it together, Harvey. <sighs> there's been a number of times over this week where I'm like, I just pray my boys get to come into an environment like this one day. Because it's like, yeah. Because <laughs> you guys are stunning. You are so inspiring. I was going to say you smell like Jesus, but I reckon that's probably not quite true at the moment. Um, <laughs> but you guys have such incredible hearts. And... Don't underestimate, like, what you're doing isn't normal. <laughs> it's radically countercultural, and it's not even countercultural in society. It's a bit countercultural in the church that at your age and stage, you'll be so passionate about Jesus, not just the singy, singy, walky, walky, talky, talky stuff, but you go out there and put your, your, just get your hands dirty and love people, and, and it's all of it. It's loving him with our voices and with our hearts, but it's also got to flow over to blessing the world. And you guys are doing that this week. It is so stunning and it's so profound and it has been an indescribable honor to be in this environment. I felt really challenged and uh, I'm going back to my church in Napier uh, with just a renewed vision for how we can bless the region that God's called us to. And I'm just praying that something of what you guys are doing that would, would catch that and run with that where we are. So thank you so much. I can't overstate just how awesome you are. And just I want to encourage you tonight. Here's, here's the, the last rant because it's our last night and we've got to give a bit of a go team talk, okay? But, and, and the reason why it's, it's helpful as we're kind of going through Joshua because at the end of Joshua, Joshua chapter 23 and Ch Joshua chapter 24, Joshua gives a go team talk to Israel. Now we've been tracking through the story of Joshua and we've, we've kind of done pretty well to cover a lot of ground with Joshua. And basically, after all of these battles have been won, Israel settle into this new land. And they're there, and then Joshua gets older and older, as you do. <laughs> and, uh, and it's interesting, in verse uh, 14 of, of Joshua 23, he says this, Now I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. I'm going to die, is what he's saying. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. And he goes on to give a go team talk to Israel. Now here's my first point tonight from what we can learn from this moment in Joshua's story. It's this, you're going to die. You're all going to die. Yeah. So be encouraged. You're all going to die. 100% of you are going to die, right? <laughs> Yay, you guys are weird. don't know why you're excited about that. That is not normal. Uh, you're going to and, and you know what the enemy loves doing, particularly to young people, is he wants you to forget that you're going to die one day because if you forget that you're going to die, you just live like you're not going to die and you make lots of dumb choices. <laughs> but when you remember that you're actually going to die one day, then all of a sudden it, the question is, Listen, guys, the question isn't whether you're going to die. The question is, are you truly going to live? Because everyone dies, but not everyone truly lives. And Joshua stands up before these guys, and he's like, I want you to live. 
and he gives them a go team talk around what that looks like. In verse uh, 15 of chapter 24, he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served before the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites. Sam was telling us what the gods of the Amorites were got up to and whose land you are living. But listen to this. This is so cool. But as for me and my house, says Joshua, we're going to serve the Lord. And it's interesting because Joshua's saying this at the end of just seeing God do unbelievable things. But it doesn't actually get any easier. I've been following the Lord now for over 20 years, and constantly I have to come back to this place of saying, I'm going to choose the way of Jesus. And that's what our life is all about. I'm going to choose the way of Jesus. I'm going to choose the way of Jesus. I'm going to choose the way of Jesus. And when you choose the way of Jesus, you're choosing the way of life in all of its fullness. There's no other path that leads to life. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He said, I've come to bring life in all of its fullness. As I said on the first night, he's the source of all life. He's the giver of all life. And by his spirit, he breathes the breath of life into our very being. There is no life found outside of Jesus. If you want to be truly alive, then you choose the way of Jesus. And when I look back over the last 20 years of following Jesus, I wish I could sit down with every one of you and look you in the eye because I'll just tell you this, it's the richest possible life you could live. It's the richest possible life. His way is so beautiful. I look back over my, the fact I'm even here, I just pinch myself sometimes. This moron flew me over here to hang out with you guys. I'm like, he has no idea who I really am. And I'm like, whatever, man, I'm just going to go along with the ride. It gets richer and richer and more beautiful. Is it easy? It's not easy. Because you've got to follow this countercultural way. And you've got to swim against the tide. And it's hard to stay clean when you live in a sewer. But we follow the God of grace and mercy who brings us to life. That's who he is. And that's his desire for every single one of you. Now, the tricky thing is we're at this point as we come into land this week. This is our last session. Oh, there's a little session tomorrow morning. But really, this is our last full session together. And so we've got that really fun transition to normal life to look forward to. Yay! You know, well, you've got to go back to normal life. And here's the thing. It is tough going back home. You know why it's tough? Because this is a taste of heaven. This is a taste of heaven. And you know why it's a taste of heaven? Because heaven... Uh, now, there's all sorts of theological stuff I'd love to dive into. We're not talking about just a disembodied soul going to heaven one day, and that's it. We're talking about a renewed heavens and earth. Hallelujah. Bring along and resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 and all the rest of it. NT right. Surprise by hope. Underline. That's really cool. Anyway, but here's the thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. It's tricky being a preacher these days. Um, but here's the thing. You know what? The, the richest... God says this. He, Jesus says this. If you want to love me... He says, the two greatest things you can do in your life are to love me with all of your heart and your soul and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love others. And the reason this is a taste of heaven is that we've spent this week loving God in word and in deed and in song, and we've been hanging out with a whole bunch of epic mates, having a real good time. And it's like, how awesome has it been? And this is just the tiniest glimpse of the promise that God has for us long term that we would just live the richest possible existence for eternity with him in this beautiful renewed earth. But as we transition out of this week, there's three things I want to challenge you to focus on, to make the priorities in your life. 
And there's a wonderful author and leader, a guy called Mike Breen, and he uh, suggested that Jesus lived his life in three dimensions. And these are the three things that Jesus focused on. And if we are to, to live a life, a glorious life, a life like the, the one that Jesus lived, we are invited to live in these three dimensions ourselves. In fact, there's a little diagram here that I stole from the internet. Um, and so these are the three dimensions that Jesus lived. He lived upward in his relationship with God. He was always sneaking away to be with his heavenly father. He had the most beautiful, rich relationship with his heavenly father you could ever imagine. It was, it was so beautiful. Secondly, he had uh, his disciples. He had a community around him. So he committed himself to going deeper and deeper and living life with his disciples. And then lastly, there was this outward component where it wasn't just about living for him or having a nice bunch of friends, but he healed the sick and he blessed those that were suffering and he helped the poor and he, he, he healed the, the sick. And it was just, uh, there was this, this outpouring of wholeness and healing that came from Jesus's life where people were blessed. And we are invited to live in those three dimensions. As you leave camp, these are the three things I want you to make the priorities in your life. And if you make these the priorities in your life, your life will get richer and richer every step that you take. And so I want to look at these three. Firstly, upwards. Jesus said that, uh, that in John 15, he invites us to abide in him, to remain in him, to be with him. Now, again, this, this is not an easy thing to do because everything is screaming for your attention and your time. So like, come with me, come with me. Look at Instagram, look at Facebook. You know, there's so much that every second, I wasn't like this when I was growing up. This is, I'm sure I'm my age now. When I went to the toilet, I would stare at the door. That was what we did when we went to the toilet in my age, in my day. These days you go to the toilet and it's like you're watching YouTube videos and checking Instagram and we all know you're doing it. I hope you washed your hands and give your phone a rub or whatever, but it's like you're... And, and so we get used to this thing of always having to have something uh, entertaining us. But actually, when we follow the way of Jesus, there's a sense where we have to reject part of that culture and say yes to silence and solitude hanging out with our Heavenly Father. It's radically countercultural. So I want to encourage you to do that. As I was saying uh, on our second night, which was meant to be this night's talk, <laughs> I wanted to encourage you to read your Bible. I'm going to bang this drum again. Read your Bibles. If you've fallen off the wagon since we did the Go Team talk a couple of nights again, what are you going to do? Get back on the wagon. Don't let the enemy keep you off the wagon. Run back onto the wagon and just keep doing that. And here's the thing. It may take you 10,000 times of falling off the wagon and then hopping back on again, but at a certain point, you'll become a Bible-reading wagon dweller. Okay? So keep choosing to do that. Secondly, live a life of prayer. I'm just rehashing my talk from the other night, but this is important. Live a life of prayer. Talk to Jesus as much as you can. Pray in tongues. Go for long walks. Build a bonfire with your mates and worship and pray all night. Go hardcore seeking His presence. And thirdly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when the, whenever they talk about the Holy Spirit in the, in the New Testament, it's not a one-off experience. The Greek is, a, is the continuous imperative. Be, continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the things I do from time to time, I don't do this every morning, but at my best, what I'll do is when I first wake up, I'll just lie there and I will, I will just invite the Holy Spirit to fill me. There's two things that have to wake up in the morning, your physical body and your soul. David would often speak to his soul, awake my soul. And so when I, uh, 
you know, you wake up in the morning. Now, you guys are lucky. You don't have children. My day normally begins with one of my three children jumping on my nuts. That's normally how my day starts. And it's like, all right, you know, and it's like, okay, here we go. But you guys get to wake up normally just with an alarm clock or something else. It's a way more gracious, gentle way to wake up. But I invite you to just continually, you don't have to be in a meeting like this to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can get filled with the Holy Spirit on the bus on the way to school. You can get filled with the Holy Spirit when you're doing your homework at night. You can constantly just be filled. All you have to do is ask, Holy Spirit, come and fill me afresh. But above all, pursue the love of God with everything that you've got. Be a presence-driven people. Hunger and thirst for His presence. Do whatever it takes. Listen to worship music again on the, on the way to school, whatever it may be. Soak yourself in Him, and He will continually reveal Himself to you. When I was 20 years old, I was in my uh, third, uh, 21, sorry, I was in my third year at Bible college. And as part of uh, my study at Bible college, we had to go to this monastery for a week, for a week-long silent retreat. Get your heads around that. Now, again, pre-cell phone era, so I was like, well, how am I going to survive? So I took a big stack of books, because we used to use these back in the day to read. We had these things with books. and So I got these all these books, and this really old IBM laptop that had no games on it, but I thought, oh, no, there's a calculator, and, you know, I don't know, I can muck around on there. And so I took these things, and, and I was like, you know, this is going to be really full on, because it's like, you know, it's a week of silence. And, and some of you extroverts are like, that sounds like the outer ring of hell to me, um, and for like... But I'm actually an introvert, and so I was actually really looking forward to it. But, but it was a long time. I'd never done that. So I turned up to this monastery, and I had these plans just to read a bunch of books and, and play on the calculator on my IBM laptop. And then I sat down. Every single day, I would sit down for one hour with the spiritual director, and this lovely old saint would guide me through just exploring what God may be doing in my life over that week. And so on the first day, she gently challenged me that perhaps reading a whole lot of fiction and playing with the calculator may not be the best use of my time over the spiritual retreat. And how about we put that stuff to the side and give it a nudge and see what God wants to do? And so I was like, up for it. Okay, let's give this a nudge. So we, got, we closed the laptop and we put the books away. And I would just walk and pray and talk. And it took me about, I reckon, two and a half days to mentally just slow down. Like we actually don't realize how fast we're going all the time. It took me two and a half days of silence in this monastery to just slow down. And it, was, it got beautiful. I mean, there was this next to this beautiful bay in Auckland and went for these walks and stuff. And what happened over that week is that God's presence just built and built and built and built. And it was like I just felt him pouring out his love on my heart. And it got to the point by like the third or fourth day where I'm like just having a little wear pretty much the whole time. <laughs> I'm just walking around like this is incredible. Honestly, I can't overstate what it was like. It was like liquid. And it just didn't stop, and which was quite nice because I didn't have anywhere to go. So I just would wander around and just felt the presence of God all around me just re revealing his love to me. And I was absolutely blown away. On about the fourth or fifth day, I was sitting in my little monk room with a little cup of water, and I was journaling what was going on, and I was just sitting there soaking in the love of God, and I felt like God say this to me. He said, Sam, what you're experiencing of my love in this moment is like that water in a cup that you can see in front of you, and I had this little cup of water, half filled with water. And he says, even that's overwhelming for you. But he's like, Sam, this is what my love is for you. It was really like for you. I want you to look out the window. And I look out the window, I see this ocean as far as the eye could see, filled with more cups of water than I can even get my head around. And then I'm like, 
<laughs> and it was like that. And he's like, this is what the love of God is actually for you. And Paul in Ephesians says that he prays this weird prayer, this paradoxical prayer. He says, I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Would you know a love that you can't fully ever know? And then he goes on to say, it's higher, it's wider, it's longer, it's deeper than you could ever imagine, and it's for you. It's for you. And this is what God does. And I tell you what, when you get that sort of a revelation, it frees you from all sorts of stuff. It frees you from things like comparing yourself to others. Like we all do it. And you know the two ditches that we land on when we compare ourselves to others? These one of two ditches that will always fall in if we compare ourselves to another person. The first is, uh, is pride, where we like, oh, I'm glad I don't look like that, or I'm glad you know, I don't dress like that, or I don't smell like that, whatever, and we get proud, and we look down on another human being that God created. You know how evil that is? But the, the ditch we normally fall on is that we look at somebody else and we feel envious. And we don't like who we are. And we're like, oh, I wish I was like that. I wish I could sing like that. Or I wish I could crack jokes like that. And so often that's the ditch we fall in. Guys, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know what? what when God pours out his love on your heart, it, it heals you from comparison. Because if God thinks that of me, then I'm awesome. <laughs> David said that. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are so great, O oh Lord. When I look at the works of your hands, I cannot contain myself. I praise you, Lord, because I am so awesome. Is effectively what David's saying. And why? Because he knew how loved he was. This up stuff is no joke. Everything flows from it. Everything flows from that private world with Jesus. So if you were to make anything a priority in your life as you go, fight. Fight like the Israelites fought for that promised land. Fight for your private world with Jesus and spend ridiculous amounts of time wasting it in his presence and see what God does. See what he does in you. Like these environments are great, but they carry you. God wants to strengthen you so that you can carry your own walk with the Lord and get stronger and stronger with every step. Decide what it's going to look like. Jesus said, as I said the other day, you can hear all this stuff. If you don't apply it, you're building your life on sand. You know what applying it looks like? Getting a diary out and going, this is when I'm going to do it. On Monday morning, this is what it's going to look like. Or on Monday afternoon, this is when I'm going to do it. I'm going to schedule this stuff and I'm going to go for walks. I'm going to pursue the presence of God. St. Augustine, I I finished this point with this. There's many tangents that weren't planned just then, but that's all right. Um, St. Augustine said this, I love this statement. He said, he used to pray this prayer. He used to say, Lord, put salt on my lips that I would thirst for you. And I pray that for you guys, because again, here's the paradox. Jesus says, I am the water that will fulfill those desires. I'm the water of life. Whoever drinks from this never thirsts again. And so not only, so this is a weird prayer to pray because you're asking God to give you a dissatisfaction for where you're at and that produces a hunger for more of God and then he satisfies. He doesn't taunt, he satisfies. He reveals himself to you. Why don't you make that one of your prayers? Lord, put salt on my lips that I would thirst for more of you. The second, so that was point one. We're gonna speed through these now a little bit. Sorry, Matt. Um, 
upwards, inwards. Make this your priority, your second priority. Stay connected and committed to your youth group and your church. Stay committed to that thing. It's so important. God calls his church his bride. Do you know how offensive it would be if one of you guys came up and said, Sam, it's been awesome having you here this week, um, but we've seen a few photos of Jen, and uh, just want to say on record that we like you, but we think your wife's a bit ugly. It'd be like, it's like you haven't even met her. You know, she's... That's so often what people do with the church. They're like, oh, yeah, I like God, but I don't like the church. It's his bride. He gave his life up for her. He loves her. And so stay committed to church. Now, I'm a pastor of a church, so I'm all in, <laughs> talking about all in. But here's the thing. I've decided I'm, it's so easy to critique the church, and it's so easy to have an opinion. And church isn't easy at times. If you, if you hang in there with church, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get frustrated. It's just guaranteed to happen. But here's the thing. There's two types of people. There are people that are standing on the sidelines critiquing it, and there are people that are on the field moving the ball up the park to make the bride of Christ more beautiful and presentable to God. Come on. I heard this metaphor where people uh, compared it to rugby. You know, sorry to bring it up again, but, um, but rugby's this. Someone said this. You've got 30 people on the field and desperately of a nest. Uh, and 30, you've got 30 people on the field desperately in need of a rest, and you've got 30,000 people on the stands desperately in need of some exercise. That's pretty much what's going on. And so don't be, and so so often in churches and in youth groups, you've got a committed core just trying to make the thing awesome, and they're getting weary. How about we all just get on the field and bomb that thing and make it awesome? If you're part of your youth group, I just challenge you, don't sit on the sidelines, don't be a consumer, do what you've done this week, get your hands dirty, and do everything you can to make it the most epic youth group the world's ever seen. Love your youth pastor, sort them out. And here's the beautiful thing, is that... Yeah, it's all the youth pastors like, come on, preach it, bro. You can, all, you can all pay me later in New Zealand dollars, preferably. Here's the thing, though. The church and your youth group have been given to you by God as a gift. And the reason that it's a gift is two reasons. Number one, when, the, when things get tough in your life, if you've invested into your youth group and you've invested into your community, they will be there for you when you go through those tough times. And so in the meantime, if things are sweet for you, love others, serve others, be there for others. But I tell you what, there will inevitably be suffering in your life. There will be inevitably suffering in your life. And I, we have, as a family, gone through suffering. We've gone through miscarriages. We've gone through suicides in our family. We've gone through all sorts of stuff. Life is tough at times. Jesus never said life would be easy. But I tell you what, I am so grateful that I've invested into a community of faith when I go through those tough times. Because people have rallied around me and carried us and prayed for us and been there for us when the chips were down. And so I want to encourage you to invest into your youth group because it will be your turn at some point in the future. You will go through challenging times and your youth group want to be there for you, to love and support you. So make yourself known and dive all in. But the second reason why church and youth groups are so important is that it forms your character. 
and the tension and the frustration and then the, the wrestling of community, that's the place where, where character is actually formed. If you want to become more like Jesus, you cannot do it in isolation. It's in community. And even throughout this week, some of you guys may have got a bit of annoyed at each other. Welcome to church. You know, you guys might have, you know, let me read the fruit of the Spirit. And you just tick as we go through in terms of how you've done. All right. Love. Joy. Tick, 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 tick. Um, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. I'm going to say that again. Eyes up here. The evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life is that list. So right, we're, we're into the Holy Spirit here at Soul Survivor more. Just pour it out, Lord. But the evidence the Holy Spirit stuck and done something is that you start to get fruity. Right? And, and again, get this. Love, joy, and peace. Here's the first three. Love, joy, and peace. This isn't about you doing that to somebody. That's you so carrying that in yourself that you just give it away. Love. Imagine that, that you're so soaked in the love of God that when your, your mate walks in from youth group or you're, you, you see, you're filled with love for them, not just because you're a good dude, but because God's done something in there that you have the eyes of love. Love. Joy. Joy. Get this. God wants you to be filled with joy. That's why I love that we've got the bangers. I was driving from, uh, when I lived in Christchurch, I was the campus pastor and our main offices were 15 minutes away. So in the car, I'd drive back and forth all the time between these two offices. And so what I would do in that trip is sometimes I'd make phone calls. If I didn't have phone calls to make, I'd uh, listen to Tim Keller or I would N.T. Ride or I'd listen to Hillsong music or whatever. And then if I was feeling a bit sort of over all that, I would listen to Hamish and Andy. Now, one of the best things your country has ever produced, as far as I'm concerned, are Hamish and Andy. They're just brilliant. And I'm gutted that their thing's not going, but they've got the podcast once a week, and it's all good. So I would listen to Hamish and Andy, and I would just crack up between my church and the main offices for 15 minutes. And so I'd go from like this intense church meeting, church, 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 Jesus, and then I'd hop in the car, church, church meeting, and then I hop in the car. And then I was driving one day, and I felt like God speak to me and say, Sam, I love that you're laughing. And I was like, and he's like, any, and I felt like him say this, anything that is producing joy in your soul, I want you to linger in those places as long as you can. Thus saith the Lord. I was like, what a primo challenge from God. When you're laughing, when you're having a, he wants you to linger in those places as long as you can so that it becomes your predominant experience, not the exception. So that you become a fruity person. This is what he wants to do. But I tell you what, you cannot do it in isolation. You get lonely. You get disconnected from God. It's committing yourself to community. The last uh, area that, that Jesus lived, and I want to challenge you guys to live in my kind of last Go Team talk tonight, is the outward component. And you guys have been doing this all week. You have no idea how significant it is that you have chosen to spend this week serving. And, it's, and, and you know why I commend you? Because you've put yourself in positions that are going to cause you to bless and serve others. Most of the time, we're not just going to do it. If you had the choice to not be here, I just don't think you'd be at the op shop painting it. So you put yourself in a position to serve. And it is awesome that you've done it because life 
is about blessing others. It's not about trying to get life, it's about trying to give it away. That's what you, and this is the challenge for all of you guys in high school. You have to work out what you're going to do for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> That's a big challenge. I had no idea. So I just like went to Bible college as the, like, the backup, and it worked out okay. But I had, you know, some of you guys knew you were born, you're born and you're like, I'm going to be a doctor. And it's like, you're like, how do you know that at one week old? But you just knew it, and then it's like you grew up and you're going to be a doctor. Or some of you guys, whatever, you've worked out what you're going to be, and God bless you. But for the 99% of us, we've got no idea what we want to be. It doesn't matter. The number one thing you've got to work out is how to use the gifts and history and experience and wiring that God has given you to be a blessing to others. How can you bless others? Because guess what? You're going to die. And when you, and my grandfather died at 98 years old. Was his money there for him? It wasn't. Was his career there for him? It wasn't. Was his status and power and influence there for him? No, he, he, was a, he was another dying old man in a rest home. But you know who was there for him? His family and his God. He lived a life with the priorities in place. He lived a life to bless others. And he didn't regret how he spent his life. And you will die one day, and my prayer is that you will look back on your life and go, I do not have regrets because I chose to live a life that was to bless others. You will come alive in that. It's not easy. It may not, like, in terms of a career path and, and money and influence and stuff, it's pretty much the opposite direction. I hate to break it to you. Well, it's been my experience anyway. I'm more poor than I've ever been in my life. Um, but I feel I've, I've never felt richer. I've never felt richer. I heard a story, and I come into land with this, that just, I'm, maybe, we might be hovering near the airport. I don't know, whatever. I don't make promises. can't keep. Um, I heard this story, and it really moved me. I read this in a book many years ago. And it just it reminded me of you guys. So I just want to read you this story. There's a story of this guy called Mr. Leek. Um, so the story goes like this. Every month, this youth group at River, River Road Church visited this place called Halcombe Manor, which was a nursing home for, uh, for, for the elderly. And it would hold church services once a month for the residents. And Daryl was this kid in the youth group, and he wasn't that keen to go to the once a month service. But because he just didn't like, um, you know, rest homes, they smelt a bit for him. But anyway, he, there was this one point in the youth group where everyone like, got wiped out with the flu and they were desperate for volunteers to go along to the rest home service. And so Daryl uh, reluctantly went along to the next... So he said, I'll commit to the next couple of months' service as long as he didn't have to be part of the program. So then during the service, Daryl felt awkward and out of place and he just leaned against the back wall between two residents in wheelchairs. And just as the service finished and Daryl was about to make a quick exit, someone grabbed his hand. And he looked down and he saw this very old, frail, obviously lonely man in a wheelchair. So what could Daryl do but hold this man's hand? And so the man's mouth hung open and his face held no expression. And Daryl was wondering whether he could even hear or see anything. But then something happened. As Daryl was holding this man's hand, he realized he didn't want to leave him. Because Daryl had been left a whole lot of times in his life. And he was caught off guard by his feelings and he leaned over and whispered, uh, really sorry I have to leave, but I'll be back, I promise. And so without warning, this old man just squeezed Daryl's hand and let it go. Daryl's eyes filled with, filled with tears as, as he grabbed his stuff and started to leave. 
And then he heard himself saying to the old man, I love you. <laughs> He's like, where did that come from? <laughs> What's happening to me? And he returned the next month, and he returned the next month after that. And every time it was the same, Daryl would stand at the back. Oliver would grab his hand, and Daryl would say, I love you, Mr. Leek. And as he obviously learned his name over time. And as the months went on, about a week before the Halcombe Manor service, Daryl would find himself looking forward to visiting his aged friend. And on Daryl's sixth visit, the service started, but Oliver hadn't been wheeled out. And Daryl didn't feel too concerned at first, because often it took the nurses a little while to wheel everyone out. But halfway into the service, Daryl came alarmed, and he went to the head nurse. He says, I don't see Mr. Leek today. Is he okay? And he said, oh, why don't you follow me? Let's go to room 27. And Daryl saw Oliver, and he was lying in his bed, and his eyes were closed, and his breathing was uneven. And Daryl had never seen anyone die before, but he knew that Oliver was near death. And slowly he walked to the side of the bed and grabbed Oliver's hand. And when Oliver didn't respond, tears filled Daryl's eyes. And he knew he might not see Oliver again. And he had so much he wanted to say, but the words wouldn't come out. And he stayed with Oliver for about an hour. Then the youth director gently interrupted to say that they were leaving. Daryl stood and squeezed Mr. Leek's hand for the last time. I'm sorry, Oliver, I have to go. I love you. As he unclasped his hand, he felt this little squeeze. Mr. Leek had responded. The tears were unstoppable now, and Daryl stumbled towards the door, trying to regain his composure. This young woman was standing at the door, and Daryl almost bumped into her. She said, I'm sorry I didn't see you. It's all right, I've been wanting to see you. She said, I'm Oliver's granddaughter. You know he, that he's dying. Said, yeah, I know. She said, I wanted to meet you, she said. And the doctor said he was dying. I came immediately. We've been really close. And he, they, he, they said he couldn't talk much, but he's been talking to me. Again, not much, but I know what he's saying. And last night he woke up, and his eyes were bright and alert, and he looked me straight into the eyes, and he said, please say goodbye to Jesus for me. And then he lay back down and closed his eyes. And he caught me off guard, and after I gathered my composure, I whispered, Grandpa, you don't need to say goodbye to Jesus. You're actually going to be saying hello to him pretty soon. And Grandpa struggled to open his eyes again, and then his face lit up with a mischievous smile, and he said, as clearly as I'm talking to you now, I know but Jesus comes to see me every month, and he might not know I've gone. And he closed his eyes, and he hadn't spoken since. I told the nurse what he had said, and she told me about you coming every month holding Grandpa's hand. So I wanted to thank you for him and for me. And, well, I never thought of Jesus being as chubby as you, but I imagine that Jesus is very glad to be mistaken for you. I know that Grandpa is. Thank you. And Oliver Leake died peacefully the next morning. We have no idea what our small deeds done with great love do. But they actually change the world. And it's not that tricky, and it's not that complicated. Actually, to live a life that has that outward dimension is simply to see people the way that Jesus sees them and to feel what he feels. And I want to, again, if you want to write another prayer down, to pray in your prayer life, why don't you pray this? Lord Jesus, give me your eyes to see people the way that you see them. And Lord Jesus, would you give me your heart so that I could feel what you feel for that person. And just see what God does. And see who he brings across your path. And see what God does through you. You're all going to die. But I pray that when you get to the end of your life, maybe you've got no money, 
But my prayer is that you'd have story after story of people's lives that have been touched by the living God. Friendship after deep friendship that you have formed. That you would be surrounded by people that love you. And that you will know that you've loved deeply. And that you would have a deep, private world with Jesus. The source of it all. And that you could say, no matter what has happened in your life, that you lived a life of love for Jesus. A life of love that wasn't just about singing songs as precious and sensual that it is, but your life would be a song of love to Jesus, giving him glory. Amen. Matt.